Our sermon text this morning is Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15. Just one verse. Uh, This is what it says. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God is more than just a theological textbook, but you have to read the theological textbook in the Bible in order to know that. And this verse here in Hebrews 4.15, it's maybe the most important verse in the whole Bible to understand that God is more than just information and intellectual knowledge, but God is a living person who loves to draw near to the weak and to the sinful and to the helpless and to bring them near to him, bring them into his throne. And this is a passage here, Hebrews 4.15. It couldn't be more relevant to our world that we're living in now, a world that's full of wars and rumors of wars, a world where we feel weak, Don't you feel weakness on just a daily basis? I was reading an article online this past week, and it was a woman, and she was reflecting on grief, this profound grief that she'd experienced in her life. And the way she described it was, she said, grief made me a stranger even to myself. Grief made me a stranger even to myself. And... I think we live in a world often where we feel like strangers to ourselves. If you, if you live long enough, almost everything happens to everybody. And at some point in your life, you're going to feel like a stranger to yourself. And I think a lot of the world feels like the world is a strange place, like we almost don't belong in it. We, we don't belong here. And the Bible explains why this is. The Bible gives an explanation about why we feel like that, strangers to ourselves. The very first human beings became strangers to themselves. The Bible says they, they covered themselves up. First they were naked and unashamed, but then they, they hid from each other. They covered themselves up. And then it says they became strangers not just to each other, but to God. And they hid from God, and they, they covered themselves. And God confirmed the worst human fears, and he, he kicked them out of the garden. He kicked them out of his presence. So that they couldn't live with him anymore. Estrangement and that feeling is just, it's universal. Everyone experiences it. We all have a sense that something is wrong and that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be, that we've all gone astray. Honor has been misplaced and dignity has been misplaced. And despite all that, we know that there should be something good. We have a sense of there is a better place somewhere. There's a better kingdom we can be a part of, a better city that we can be a part of. But when we look within ourselves and then when we look at the world, we just see so much wanting, so much lacking. We recoil and we droop and we see so much lacking and we just go and look for relief somewhere what what can give me relief from all this and the bible calls that a kingdom of darkness 
And we have all felt it, and we've seen it in the news headlines. But we have this distant memory of closeness to God. We have a distant memory that there is this better place, a good place, but it always seems to be a thought, not a reality. It always feels distant. And it's into this world that we live in, not some other world. God's not talking to angels here. He's talking to human beings. Into this world, God says, we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who's not unable to sympathize with our weakness, which is just another way of saying that we have a high priest who is able, he is powerful, he has the capacity to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. And the first thing to get straight here is what a high priest is. You don't run into those at the gas station, the high priest. Remember, the first Christians were former Jews, and they had this book called the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God had seen Israel. He saw them in their misery and slavery to Egypt. And he saw that they were afflicted. It says that in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. God says that. And the Lord looked down, and he brought them out of slavery, and he drew them near to himself. He brought them near to himself into his presence. He rescued them, but he said that you can't get all the way to me. I can't draw you all the way near to me. There's going to be this holy tent and a holy box, and only one person will be able to go into that holy box where my throne is, where my presence is. Only one person will be able to go in there, and that will be the high priest. And he'll have to make sacrifices for his own sins and for the sins of Israel. But in that way, I'll dwell with you in general. But there was always this sense of incompletion, that things weren't completely right because all of Israel couldn't come all the way into the throne room, into the divine presence of God. And the writer of the Hebrews, here in this book that we're looking at this morning, he is anxious to get across that Jesus, the Son of God, has become our greater high priest, our greater high priest Jesus has become. And you see that God did something similar when he saved Israel. He looked down and God loved the world and he had compassion and he had sympathy. And he looked at the human condition and it says that Jesus, when he approached Jerusalem, remember what he did is he approached Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, He looked over the city and it says in Luke that he wept. His heart was opened up to the pain and misery of what it was like to live in Jerusalem. But Jesus came as our great high priest to bring us to God, to bring us into God's presence so that God could draw us near to him. We were outsiders, but Jesus has brought us near so that we're now insiders, face to face with the living God at his throne room. Jesus took his sacrifice, he died on the cross, and then he went into heaven so that now uh, everyone who's in Christ is seated with Jesus in the throne room of God in a way that the Jews never could in the Old Testament. Now everyone in Christ gets to experience because of Jesus' death on the cross for sinners. What sort of people get to enter into God's presence? Sinners, sinful people. The ungodly, Paul says, is who Jesus came to justify. But 
But the writer of the Hebrews is anxious not just to say that Jesus has become this great high priest. He's anxious to say that he's a sympathetic high priest. He is not just here to give us information, theological information about who God is, about who Jesus is, but he wants to unfold and reveal and disclose the heart of God for the weak. And I just want to give you five ways, quickly, that Jesus' sympathy as a high priest is unique. His sympathy is unique. It's, it's different from any other symphony that you're going to encounter today or next week. And the first way it's unique is because of his person, because of who Jesus is. In the world, you don't experience sympathy like the sympathy from Jesus because his person is different from anyone else you're going to meet today. You know, some people you meet in the world seem to be untouched by suffering. Some people in the world, they're just um, callous to human suffering. And they're cruel. And, and in the midst of someone's pain, they seem to want to cause more pain, not relieve it. Other people that you meet, they have some, um, well, I'll just put it like this. Their mantra is basically do no harm. Some people that you meet in the world do no harm. And they're not going to hurt you. They're not going to be cruel to you. But they're not going to try to help you either. And in that way, they're basically untouched by your pain. Then there are other people who are sympathetic that you meet. And they want to help you in some way. But it's usually only giving money. They see someone suffering, they see someone in pain, and and they want to help, and they do, but they always keep their distance. And when they come face-to-face with someone who's undone with pain and suffering, they don't have the capacity to really get close. They'll, They'll always keep you at arm's length. They only want to help at a distance. And then there are other people, and I think the body of Christ a lot of times fits into this category. There are other people who want to help, and they seem to be drawn to the heartache and to the suffering of other people. When they see someone who's desperate for help, they don't just want to help at a distance, but they want to dive in like a a great nurse, a great labor and delivery nurse, if you've ever had a great one. You know, they're just, they're in there with you, in the thick of it. And they just want to help however they can. I think the body of Christ is is often like that. Which is why it's amazing to be part of the church. But it can't last. That that heart to really want to sympathize and jump in and dig in and pitch in and help. It can't last because you you burn out. Or you, you, you have to set up boundaries or you burn out. You have to start managing, I can help at this time but not at that time. Because, because humans are weak. We are. And Jesus' sympathy is unique. Because it never runs out of gas. He, he, he never stops sympathizing. And uh, I knew it was going to be hard for me to get through this sermon. <laughs> and I was right. His sympathy is unique because it lasts forever. It's eternal. And it's different in that regard than any, any sympathy that you're going to experience. 
His compassion and his mercy, it never runs out of gas. Another way that it's unique is because of his experience as a sufferer and as someone who's been tempted in every way, just like we have. He was a man who was well acquainted acquainted with grief. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of constant sorrow. He knew what it felt like to be weak in the world, to feel like everyone had deserted him, that there was no one that would be loyal to him. He knew what it felt like for the ground just to, to fall away underneath him and to feel like the world had collapsed. Jesus knew exactly what that felt like. And the Bible says that in heaven, our great high priest, he remembers those experiences. He remembers what it was like to suffer. Now, he doesn't suffer anymore. The Bible says that he's already been perfected through what he's suffered. He doesn't need to be perfected anymore. So he doesn't suffer in heaven, but he can remember what it would be like to suffer. He remembers those experiences. Remember when he rose from the dead, he still has the holes in his hand and the place in his side. He remembers what it was like to be crucified. And in heaven, he is sympathetic with your suffering because he can remember what it was like to have everything taken from him. And he knows what it's like to be tempted in every way that we are. C.S. Lewis has that great illustration of Jesus' temptation where he says that. You know, picture temptation like a, a storm, a violent storm. And even the best saint... They cannot withstand and stand up in the storm of temptation forever. Everyone eventually lays down and gets down in the storm of temptation. Everybody. Except for Jesus. In the midst of the storm of temptation, Jesus never laid down. And so he has experienced that storm of temptation greater than anyone else ever did. He has gone up to to the edge of the cliff and looked down and surveyed the, the darkest parts of humanity. And he knows the experience of of walking up to the pit and looking down in it and seeing the violence and the temptation to live a life of selfishness and self-absorption with no sympathy for other people. He's looked down into that pit so that When you're in that pit, and when you've fallen over that cliff, Jesus is sympathetic. Because he he stood in the midst of the storm of every single temptation. And so when you give in and you've fallen, he is not angry at you. His heart is open. And he is compassionate, and he's gracious. The next reason that Jesus' sympathy is unique is that We are his body. If you're in Christ, you are in one body with Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. And if, you know, when you stub your toe, when you stub your toe, your whole body looks down at what's happened and your head feels it and your arms feel it. And that means that you're suffering when you fall into the pit, when life feels like it's given way under your feet. It affects Jesus Even at the right hand of God, while he's our great high priest, it affects him. He feels it. Not from the same standpoint that we do in all of our weakness, 
But he feels it and that his heart is opened up to the pain and to the suffering of the world. And his sympathy for us is also unique because he is the great husband and we are his bride, the Bible says. The Bible says if you're in Christ, you are Jesus' bride. And he is your great husband. Just let that sink in for a minute. Our great husband, he knows the... The, the cries of his bride. And his heart is, is broken for them. And it, it affects him, even at the right hand of God, as he intercedes for us at the throne of God and welcomes us into God's presence. His sympathy is so different because he is the great husband then finally, his sympathy is unique because he can see into every heart. He can see into every human weakness. The book of Revelation, for all the things that are confusing about the book of Revelation, it describes Jesus as having seven eyes. Not because he literally has seven eyes, but it's God's word. It's, 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 it's God's way of saying that Jesus can see it all. A great counselor can see the pain of, uh, you know, 12 people or or, or maybe 100 people or or maybe 200 people if they're an amazing counselor. But Jesus can look down and he can see the suffering and the pain of the world. If there were a thousand worlds, Jesus would be able to see every broken heart, you know, count every tear in his bottle. It says that he has seven spirits, that he's able to remain connected to every member of the body of Christ. He sees all the pain, and he takes every bit of it into his heart. And that he sees the pain of the world does not mean that he's not paying attention to you where you are in your life. And the best demonstration of this is the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Some, some of you know that story. You remember Jesus and Lazarus? Lazarus was this man that Jesus loved, loved him, and he died. And Mary and Martha, they're grieving, they're crying. Mary and Martha, their hearts are broken. And Jesus is, is planning on raising Lazarus from the dead. He, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. He's going to show up and raise Lazarus from the dead. But he wanted to, to teach the world many things. And one of the things he wanted to teach Mary and Martha was that he is the resurrection and the life. And that if you are in Christ, in principle, you don't even die if you're in Christ. Because you are alive with him. And though you die, you will live forever. That was one of the things Jesus wanted to teach him. He was the resurrection and the life. But the other thing he wanted to say is this. That God is more than just a theological textbook. He is more than just someone who wants to give you information and to make you smarter. And so he comes and he sees them crying, the Bible says. And then the Bible says that Jesus, the Son of God, our great high priest, 
he's deeply moved within his spirit. And he wept, Jesus said. He opened his heart to their pain, even though he knew that this story already had a happy ending. If you're a Christian, all of your grief, all of your pain, it is temporary. And yet, and yet, Jesus, our great high priest, he sits at the right hand of God, opening his heart to the deepest weaknesses and tragedies and disappointments and pains and heartaches. He sits at the right hand of God as this victorious, this victorious great high priest who is still sympathetic to every weakness of his people. He is more than a a good-intentioned friend. He's more than just a shoulder to cry on. He is the heir of all things. And he's the radiance of God's glory. He has passed through the heavens where he took his sacrifice into God's presence. And from there, from heaven, do you know what he looks for? Do you know what gets Jesus' attention at the right hand of God? The weak and the helpless, and the heartbroken, and the lonely, and those who are overwhelmed with shame. And he loves to bring the weak into the throne room of God, into the presence of the Lord. And this is where the the Holy Spirit wants to deal with us individually. And I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Where are you on the sympathy of Jesus? Do you feel weak? Do you feel like you're in the pit? Where are you this morning? Do you see that your greatest need, your greatest need, is to have a sympathetic high priest who wants to bring you into the throne room of the living God who is infinite? And who is eternal. And who is unchangeable. Do you see that God is sympathetic to your weaknesses? And that he offers you his sympathy. But you must take it. The sympathy of Jesus is for those who will receive it from him. So don't let it go today. Hold on to it. Hold it fast. Hold fast to your confession the words of Hebrews, and if you do, if you do that, you will find and experience what the, what the hymn writer says, and I'll close with this, that Jesus is my all in all, he is my rest and toil, my ease and pain, he is the medicine for my broken heart, in war he is my peace, in loss he is my gain. My smile beneath the enemy's frown. In shame, my glory and my crown. In weakness, my almighty power. My light in Satan's darkest hour. My help and stay when I call. My life, my death, my all in all. My sympathetic high priest in my time of need. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we worship you and we bless your name that you do see our tears and count them in your bottle. And we bless you because we see you face to face, God. We praise you because you don't keep us at arm's length or keep us at a distance, but that you welcome us to be near to you and close to you in a way that we're not even close to ourselves in that way. God, we thank you that though we might feel strangers to ourselves, that we are not strangers to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.